0: Good morning. We are closing out today our study on corporate worship as we've used uh, John Piper's information there, uh, Gravity and Gladness, his series on corporate worship. So, if you're first time visitor today, you're catching the very end, yeah. so you'll get all the highlights. Um, and we're going to we're going to review uh, what we have learned, and we're going to take a look at um, again some of the things that Piper has stated about what unites Bethlehem in worship. And as uh, leaders in this church, we would agree with the 11 points that he made, and I'll read those out again, that would unite us and our worship, things that are uh, foundational to what we believe about what is right and uh, proper in corporate worship. And then we're going to look at some of the ways uh, this study is going to have and is is having an effect and uh, is going to have an effect on the way here at FCF. Uh, we would engage in corporate worship uh, as a body. Let me first uh, begin by looking at um, these ten, really, really eleven points. Uh, some of them cross over as well. But eleven points at what unites Bethlehem in worship. Um, and as, I, as I'm doing that, I would encourage you, if you have uh, a thought, if you have a question... If you have something that has been uh, encouraging to you and has struck a chord with you over these last ten weeks as we've studied this, uh, jot that down. There will be a time for that, being able to reflect on that. We'll do that just after we, after I read through these eleven things here and uh, make some note on how they would may affect our church. But um, have that in the back, back of your mind, especially if you have a question. We want to flesh some of these things out today. I don't have a handout for you, but uh, you, if you had the last two study guides, uh, you'll have What Unites Bethlehem in Worship, and there's 11 things. And I have written, in, and, and I'd be willing to send this to you if you like, I actually wrote out all that he has to say on that. Uh, we just, in your handout, got kind of the top line there, but I've gotten uh, a little more wordy uh, using what he has written there to help flesh some of these things out. So What Unites Bethlehem in Worship, we would... Uh, we would support these as well as uh, Uniting FCF in worship. Number one he has is God-centeredness. I think that's probably a given. Uh, hopefully that's a given for our church. That should be a given for all churches is that our worship is centered around the Lord. It's not centered around man. It's not centered around uh, what we think should be said. It's centered around what God said should be said. A, high, a Piper says a high priority on the vertical focus on our Sunday morning work. Worship service, the ultimate aim is to so experience God that He is glorified in our affections. Breaking that down, we want to have a big theme of looking at God and worshiping Him and less of a horizontal focus. And as we've noticed, the more you focus vertically, you do get a horizontal ministry going. But notice He says, the ultimate aim is to so experience God that He is glorified in our affections. Well, Oftentimes, um, maybe in Reformed circles, we think uh, we kind of have a bad view of this word affections or emotions. And we're thinking that's bad. It's going kind to of be kind of a scary thing if somebody raises their hand or might say amen or has a uh, cries. And we think, oh, you're getting a little little uh, easy there. Uh, closes your eyes. Mm, we think that's bad. No, we don't. We don't think that's bad. But oftentimes we have an adverse reaction to that. Well, if it's coming, as Piper has made well known, and I would be making known here, if it's coming out of God-centeredness, if it's a result of the truth, uh, we should not be afraid of these things. These are things that are naturally going to come out and should come out, and we should not be afraid to express them as such. Number two, uh, first was God-centeredness. Number two, going hard after God. There's one thing to make God the center. It's another thing for all of us who corporately pursue Him hard pursuing and expressing the deepest satisfaction in all that God is for us in Jesus. And that would require us corporately, uh, it may be that us as worship leaders want to keep God as the center, but that requires then, number two, us corporately to go hard together after God. Uh, That means on Saturday nights, we talked about last week, preparing yourself for worship. That means even here on Sunday morning, doing what is necessary in order to be able to have uh, a hard and intense focus on the Lord. That may mean disciplining yourself. That may mean coaching yourself up on what you're going to say or not say on Sunday mornings to keep yourself focused on the Lord. Whatever it needs to be, it is us going together hard after God. One, God-centeredness. Two, going hard after God. Number three, expecting the powerful presence of God. Expecting the powerful presence of God. The Holy Spirit... Uh, The third person the Trinity sometimes gets left out because it's a mystery. It's hard to understand and comprehend his work. But that is what we're talking about here. Expecting the powerful powerful presence of God, Piper says, We do not just direct ourselves toward him. We earnestly seek his drawing near according to the promise of James 4.8. We believe that in worship God draws near to us in power and makes himself known and felt for our good and for the salvation of unbelievers in the midst. We can expect and should expect that if we're having God-centered worship and we're going hard after God, we're going to meet Him. We're going to have a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, not to shy away from that. Number four is Bible-based and Bible-saturated. Bible-based and Bible-saturated. The content of our singing and praying and welcoming and preaching and poetry Will always conform to the truth of Scripture. The content of God's Word will be woven through all we do in worship. It will be the ground of all our appeal to authority. Preaching, expository exaltation, will be central. And preaching is probably one of the strongest points of this church, if not top three. Preaching and teaching of the Word, and we want, we've always made that central. And uh, so that has not necessarily been a difficult for us. But then breaking into corporate worship, we are Bible-based. But we also want to be all Bible-saturated, which we seek to do as well. Not just say something that is in the Bible, but show you where it is in Scripture. Or using Scripture references more than just um, saying something that we know is founded in Scripture. Bible-based and Bible-saturated. Number five is head and heart. Head and heart. Worship aims at kindling and carrying deep, strong, real emotions toward God but not manipulate people's emotions by failing to appeal to clear thinking about spiritual things based on charitable evidences outside ourselves. So we certainly want to have a heart that worships the Lord, but it's also got to correspond with the truth. It's got to correspond with clear thinking. So we're not going and driving this worship with emotions, but rather we're driving it with the truth, we're driving it with clear thinking, and then by God's grace the heart will respond, and emotions will certainly come from the heart. Six, earnestness and intensity. Earnestness and intensity. Avoiding a trite, flippant, superficial, frivolous atmosphere, but instead setting an example of reverence and passion and wonder. Earnestness and intensity. It would be my hope and desire that if somebody comes into this church that doesn't know the Lord, the the passion and awe and wonder that we have for the Lord Will so move them to ask, "What are you guys doing?" I've never seen this intensity. There's people who have noted that oftentimes on Saturday afternoons, with thirty thousand other people, you'll see more—you'll see more people passionate about cheering for a naked man in tights—not a naked man in tights, a man in tights, basically naked, <laughs> running down a field with a pig—than you will see with Christians at church on Sunday morning. It happens. Pigskin. Earnestness and intensity. Do people see more reverence, passion, and wonder in what we do on Sunday morning than they would anywhere else? Seven, authentic communication. Authentic communication, the utter renunciation of all sham and deceit and hypocrisy and pretense and affectation, meaning we're just, I'm sitting here uh, putting all this together using big words so you'll be impressed. That's affectation and posturing. Not the atmosphere of artistic or oratorical performance, but the atmosphere of a radically personal encounter with God and truth. We want, whether it's myself or Bob or Max or Don Willing or whoever else stands up to lead worship, we want them to be authentic. We want them to be real. Uh, whether it's Paul or Mr. Welch or myself preaching, we want, want that to be real communication not just something that's put on as a way of deceit, hiding sin that's in our own lives, or, impressment, or impr- trying to impress someone. We want it to be a radically personal encounter with God and truth. So we're up to number seven out of 11, God-centeredness, going hard after God, expecting the powerful presence of God, Bible-based, Bible-saturated, head and heart, earnestness, intensity, authentic communication. Number eight, the manifestation of God and the common good the manifestation of God and the common good. 1 Corinthians twelve seven. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Bible says, We expect and hope and pray that our focus on manifesting God is good for people and that therefore a spirit of love for each other is not incompatible with but necessary to authentic worship. So we are vertically focused, but there is a horizontal aspect to it. And we want to be ministering to others we want to be loving on others, um, but that's going to come, as we see in Scripture, after we focus on the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're finding ourselves not having a spirit of love with one another, we need to go back to how's our love for the Lord? Is it waning or is it strong? Number nine, undistracting excellence. We will try to sing and play and pray and preach in such a way that people's attention will not be diverted from the substance by shoddy ministry nor by excessive finesse, elegance, or refinement. Natural, undistracting excellence will let the truth and beauty of God shine through. And we want to we want to do that. We don't want to be distracting from your vertical focus. Uh, not just on corporate worship, but here in First Light, as you drive up, as you leave, as you fellowship, uh, the sights, the sounds, the smells. We, we want to limit as much as possible the distractions from focusing upon the Lord during this time. Number 10, determination to welcome people different from ourselves for the sake of Christ. We aim to be more indigenous to the diversity of our metropolitan cultural setting, both urban and suburban. Well, this is Piper talking about metropolitan. Ours would be more uh, country, but wanting to make sure that we understand the diversity of the body of Christ and the diversity of those who come into the church. And There's lots of diversity in our world today. We don't want to be known as a homeschooling, white, middle-class church. That is not the label we want. But that is a lot of times the label we get. That's not what we want. We don't want that. We want to be seen as those who seek hard after the Lord, uh, no matter your no matter where you come from no matter what your background no matter what your diversity is number 11 the mingling of historical and contemporary music and heartfelt congregational singing and he quotes Matthew 13:52 and he said to them therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old the mingling of both of historical and that which is relevant today uh, that which is promoting the truth today. We don't want to ever have anything weak or shoddy or um, watered down, uh, but also not to shy away from that which is to, in today's world or that which has been written in the last couple of years, that is a promotion of the truth. So we, we've noted 11 things here. What unites, uh, what we could say, FCF and worship, we would we would hold to these these truths of corporate worship. Yeah, we're going to look at today in in Colossians four, Paul's example of his the grace he had upon men that had failures in their life, had uh, successes in their life, um, started out really bad and then finished well. Uh, but the mark of it is is that Paul was interested in God's glory and and the, the growth and strengthening of the body of Christ. And so he was less interested in do I have all the people around me that help me and look good? Or am I interested in promoting moving the body of Christ forward, even if it's taking you know a weak believer over here or a new believer or somebody who doesn't even know the Lord, and then moving them forward? And you know, it's easy for me to think, well you know I just want to be around people who all have the same line of thinking I've got rather than going, I need to help people get to here so they can move past me and continue the work that the Lord has, all having it as a focus on the Lord rather than ourselves. Let me use that as a, a way to move into how this will study would affect FCF and is having an effect at this time. Looking first at how it's having an effect now, um, I just jotted down four things that I felt like um, we could already see, the Lord, how it's, the Lord's already using this in our body. Uh, the first was a more informed body uh, strengthens the ability of the leadership to lead. Hey, I, I was really encouraged to sit there and let you guys listen at the same time I was hearing about what it means to have worship that's seamless. So they go, oh, now I've got to stand up there and actually do this because they all heard the same thing rather than me hearing it and introducing it to you as if, oh, yes, I have this. and <laughs> you don't. Uh, That's really, really, really good where you all are uh, informed and you're uh, stronger in what it means to have a seamless worship and what it means to have a vertical worship versus horizontal worship and all these things and how they work together, when you're informed by that, that that really helps us us as leadership to be able to to lead in new ways or in stronger ways, in different ways. That was one, a more informed body strengthens the ability of the leadership to lead. Number two, I think it's having an effect uh, because it all is a reminder to us that all worship starts in the heart and is as a response to God's character and his work within us. I think that there's times we all fall into it. We think, well, I'm going to come to church to worship, rather than realizing, no, worship corporately is, is just a continuation of what should be happening privately uh, within my own heart and on a day-to-day basis. And that's a good reminder for all of us. And Piper talked about that, how you should be telling your children, oh, this is a this is day where we do something as the entire body of Christ. This is a really, really important day. Third, I noted that more corporate understanding of why we have such things as, there's more of a corporate understanding now of why we have such things as corporate prayer, uh, why we ask you to move to the main service 10 minutes prior, and all these different things. Um, Why we we don't have, or we strive not to have uh, weddings late on Saturday night. Different things that you normally think, well, you know, why in the world do they do those things? And I think that this study has helped us to kind of corporately understand better why we do what we do. And why we ask as leadership for you all to do some things that may not be always necessarily so easy. It it is it is difficult to have a four year old or three year old or two year old uh, to sit through fifteen or twenty minutes of corporate prayer at the end of a service. That's that's really tough. Um, but I think you uh, through this study, this has helped us gain a better understanding of why why do we do that? Why why do we see that prayer is so important? And as another aspect of worship, rather than just something that is well now we worship here and then we preach and then we pray Uh, we worshiped at the beginning and now we're praying no prayer is just another form of worship and that's why we do these different things um and then the the fourth one i I had noted was that this i think this study has helped us corporately have a greater desire for deeper truth and more glorifying corporate worship i've had many of you come up to say well how's this going to change us and I was reading this hymn, and that hymn is not the truth that we espouse. It's a little weak over here and this or that. or man this song over here has a, a music, musical notes that just don't seem to fit with the, with the words. And what are we going to do about that? Well, that's really good, because we were always want to be reforming. We always want to be growing. We always want to be more exalting to the Lord and doing whatever we can to do that. And then that would lead us to how it's going to have an effect. And these are some things that will be coming down the line as we um, work these things out. Worship in the main service, um, this is some things that will be coming up here. Worship in the main service will take on a form and function uh, much more along the lines of what we have been doing here in First Light. Same in the music with more applicable and timely exhortation from the worship leader. Uh, we have done worship pretty much uh, the same style, form, and function for the last 11 years. And it has been God-glorifying, I believe. But we're always going to learn how to do things better and grow. And one of the things that is is um, the fact that us as worship leaders, whether it's Max or Bob or myself, making sure that we know very clearly when we need to have timeless exhortation. Uh, it's good timing in our exhortation. I think that it's wise for a, a, a worship leader to say things, and he needs to say good, glorifying things, and he needs to exhort the people. But that needs to come at the right time so that it doesn't break the vertical focus from the Lord. So our music will be more seamless, will flow more from song to song to song, and there will be times when uh, it flows over to more of an exhortation and then flows back into maybe you all singing, but having it less broken in the way that we do that. Number two would be that we as leaders are evaluating more closely every aspect of Sunday morning to determine corporately distracting aspects that need tweaking or reevaluation. And I would say determining corporately distracting because we all have different personalities. Uh, Some might be distracted by the lights where 99% of the rest aren't. And then somebody might be distracted by the fact that the lawn wasn't mowed and somebody else isn't. Or somebody might be distracted by the fact that there's a smell of coffee and others don't have that. Uh, So we're looking at corporate distractions, things that we all are distracted by or find ourselves that we can be distracted by. Uh, We certainly can't. uh, can't get rid of everything because every person is different that goes back to the diversity but we are looking to see well, what what uh, where there might there be corporate distractions and being able to reevaluate those and we you know we, we want to we never want to be able to say well that's just the way we've always done it we can't change we want to throw every, continually putting things on the table reevaluating according to scripture reevaluating it according to uh, that which would be most helpful for the diversity that we have in our church now um, and being able to to change if need be. And then this uh, a third would be availing ourselves of the vast resources available today to ensure that we have the best of the best when it comes to musical selections that proclaim a message textually that is Christ-honoring and affirms the truth as it applies to all of God's character and also has music that is both fitting to the words proclaimed and carries the message with the least distraction. Uh, a long sentence meaning this, We can have some great music, but we want to make sure that is, number one, um, really really, uh, defines the God that we serve in Scripture. For instance, we don't want to sing all songs about love. Uh, We want to balance it. We also have a God of wrath. Uh, We also don't want to sing all about grace because we also have different attributes of God. We want to sing all about God's character and make sure that the the words carry that. textually very well but then you can have some hymns that are just or, or some songs that are so strong theologically but the music is either really poor or almost to the point of too good to the point that you're distracted by the tune one way or the other and the truth doesn't come forward as much and we want to do our best and work hard to do that where we have the right fit for both pieces so as I, we've been uh i've been a, going through every one of the hymns in our hymnal and finding what is the best. And I've noted some that, oh, just tremendous theology needs a new tune, you know. And we have the ability now through technology to go, well, that tune is an 844, 844, whatever, meter, and we can find other tunes that have that same meter and you can fit them so that things can meld more seamlessly. Um, and, and we're not limited today. It used to be not that many years ago when if you wanted to sing some hymns, you either had a bunch of hymn books, or you had one, and you kind of went, well, you know, some of this isn't what I like, but some of it's good. Well, we, we we're not limited by that anymore. We can go get the best of the best. You can stack up twenty hymn books over here, and then you can go on the internet and pull up everything else that's not in there. And you, can, we can really use a lot of technology today to get better and better and better. Brian, the salter, like yes. The psalms, we don't have any of that. We really almost have no psalms in our, in our hymn book. Um, and yet there's a, the admonition there to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So you can put, uh, you can now do these things, and we're going to do that uh, where we can get the best of the best. And we'll probably, um, it, it, it will look more like First Light. We've sung a lot of different things in First Light. That's not in our hymn book. Give to our God immoral praise. That's, that's not in our hymn book. Um, but it's been a, a wonderful hymn to sing. So we will continue to use First Light in a way to introduce some new things, but as we get more accustomed to those songs, be able to move them into the main service even if they're not in our hymn book. Um, The fourth here would be be that our singing portion of worship, um, that we would be more aware as leaders, uh, that our singing portion of worship would be more aware of what will be communicated in the preaching portion of worship. And that has been, um, we just have a standard list of hymns that we run through, and we're we we haven't been able to due to different things been able to make sure well, does, does our does our singing set up well our preaching. Now that doesn't mean we're going to necessarily sing everything about what we're preaching. If we're preaching about the love of God that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to sing all about uh the love of God, but that it we do have an understanding of what will be coming. And that's uh, been something that has been tremendously a tremendous blessing to me just having pastoral meetings in the last couple of months being able to sit down and say we're going to preach on such and such and that helps me as a music leader go okay i know how to set that person up better for the preaching of the word so that that is something that is having an effect now and will have a greater effect coming down the road is really making sure that it's tied together and we set up well the preaching and the preaching flows the worship just flows into the preaching into that style of worship which would be preaching of the word um and it, that communicates well the message that will be coming. And then the last one would be the better communication of ideas and changes between those who lead worship. Uh, every person who leads worship, different personalities, different styles, different ways of doing things. But we want to be want to be a little want to be better at uh, whether it's Max leading or myself leading or Bob or John Willing, whoever would be leading, to be able to say these are the the ideas we're putting on the table. These are the new things we want to. We want to run out. These are the new way we want to do things and better communicate that. Um, so that's less distracting from week to week. You might come one Sunday and it's done the next way, and then next Sunday it's done another way, and next Sunday it's done another way. And that gets that gets distracting. Not that you're going to show up and know, well, we're going to sing three hymns, then preach, then three more hymns, then pray. Uh, that's more of a liturgy type of thing. Not that that would, wouldn't change. That will change. But the, uh, the style, uh, the way it's done... From personality to personality, as it still changes a little bit there, will be of the same genre, of the same type that we would like, uh, making sure that the Lord is honored, making sure that we're not distracting, making sure that um, there's timely exhortation from the worship leader that's applicable, but we know when we desire for that to happen, uh, these type of things. And we've also, as you have noticed, may have noticed, we're, we're seeking to get other men involved in the worship service. Um, we're having now men stand up and, and read the worship, uh, and read the text that will be preached on that day and pray for our service. And I think that's really good um, to not, you know, not to have one person that we always look to, but to always be pointing it back to Scripture. So I, I've, I've read five things. Uh, I've read four things that are having an effect now. I've read five things that will be having an effect or continuing to have an effect in the coming days. Would you all have questions or thoughts? And we would, that that we have that ability now we don't have to be contained by a red book we can put in the blood we can put in the wrath and it's not just the old hymns of the faith I mean there's uh, new hymnals now that wouldn't put in Christ alone in there because they wouldn't change some of the words to have it less um, less wrathful which is not a very wrathful song either but that's that's where we are at today you're going to have things pretty much watered down if you, I mean, one of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fountain. I think they left out two of the best hymns. I mean, two of the best verses. They left out the last one, that's for sure, and it's, it's phenomenal. So, other thoughts or questions? And I would encourage you that as you have thought, if you have thoughts or questions or wondering why we're doing what we're doing, uh, to come talk and come ask. This is, this is really, um, this is not easy. What we're, what, we're gonna, what we're trying to do, because it is easier for me to just type, to, to, to lay out five hymns. Um, I mean, this is what we do now. The hymns that you sing today is the hymns we sang last Sunday, last year on this Sunday, and the previous year on this Sunday, and the previous year on this Sunday, and the previous year on this Sunday. I, I mean, I pull back from all the way back to 2008. We're singing the same hymns November 2nd, as we sang November 2nd, 2008. It's really easy for me. <laughs> I mean, I just pull them up, and they're great. I mean, they're good. But it's, it's a lot different to have to sit down and go, oh, wow, now we've got to make sure we, we want some things in the same keys. If they're not, I've got to communicate with my pianist to make sure that they know how to seamlessly flow into these things. So these things are a lot more difficult, but they're really good. Um, so I ask for grace for you as we work on that, but also um, to, if you've got a thought how we can how we can help with that or do better, come talk to us. Some of these things are – some of these things are um, – We'll take a little bit of time as we work through them. But we want, to be, we want to be constantly reforming. We want to be constantly getting more glorifying to the Lord in what we're doing. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for your grace upon us. And would ask that as we would now move to a time of worship and fellowship, uh, that would be pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, that as we would seek to put into practice the things we've learned in our homes and corporately here, you might be honored and pleased and provide us the strength and the wisdom to do these things. And I pray, Father, for the next service that you might prepare our hearts even now for a time of singing your praises and thanksgiving, a time of reflection upon our hearts and how we're doing before you. Uh, a time of confession and repentance, that as we would worship you in these ways, that you might be pleased uh, and that might be coming out of a, a true heart. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.